Thought maybe you boys might be interested in putting on a big-time wrestling bout. You know, make a nice hunk of dough for yourself. It's time to Yes, Virginia, there is a Santa Claus. Morgan, you're out of here. You don't have the right temperament for the trade. You're a dead man. What am I supposed to do? There's always barber college. Frankie, I know you're a great wrestler, but my brother, who ain't as handsome as you, is as strong as Charles Atlas. Yeah, but I've wrestled women that are bigger than him. Sure, you got fat, sloppy women. Hello and welcome to Camel Clutch Cinema, the podcast where we talk about movies that star wrestlers or have wrestling in them. I'm Guy Hutchinson. And I'm Craig Cohen. On this episode, we are talking about 12 rounds. You know, the reason why we chose 12 rounds to start the year off was because I was thinking about New Year's Eve and I was thinking, you know, the, you know, the countdown and I was thinking that a movie, this movie sort of has a countdown in it. Yeah, and it's actually got... 12 in the title as well, which kind of ties in with 2012. Yeah, so this would have been great last year. <laughs> uh, how was your new year? Oh, it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. I always enjoy doing low-key stuff on New Year's Eve. So I went out to dinner with my family, um, had a really, really nice dinner, came home and was in bed by 1130. Did you fall asleep prior to it and miss the uh, the whole thing? Yeah, you know what? I... I for me, it's really just another day. I, you know, I totally understand people getting all amped up for it, but I worked that day, so I woke up early, didn't have time for a nap before dinner, so I was two hours past my bedtime when I did finally go to bed. So uh, I hear you. I hear you. I do. I uh, I've often uh, missed it. A lot of years, what I'll do is I'll go to bed and I'll kind of keep looking over at the clock, and then at midnight, you know, I'll have the show. I'll have the show on on the TV, and at midnight, I'll kind of perk up and and watch it, and then go, oh, that was it, okay, you know, that's how it goes, yeah. uh, but I've never gone anywhere, I've always thought that, I've watched New, New Year's Eve on TV, where they're in Times Square, and that looks horrific, oh my I God, mean, that yes. just looks terrible, yes, my, uh, I mean, they, my, my mom, from what I understand, yeah, my mom from what I understand, actually, and, yeah, I'm sorry, mm-hmm. my mom is actually gone, uh, her and my stepdad went quite a few years ago at this point, and, okay, good, so let me ask you this, because this is, I want to give you my perception of what I believe happens there, and you can tell me how much of this is right. Okay. I believe you get there around like 3 p.m., you get a square of space that you can stand in that's about physically about how much room you'll need, although people's elbows will be into your chest constantly, and then that's it. You're not allowed to eat, drink, move, use the bathroom, or anything else. Uh, yeah, that's pretty much it. <laughs> wow, my God. So what did they think, though? Did they like it? Was uh, it- my mom has when- said that everybody should do Times Square in uh, New Year's Eve at least once in their life. Take that for what it's worth. <laughs> uh, I had uh, I had an interesting New Year's Eve. First thing, I had to go to the doctor. I wasn't feeling well, so I had to go to the doctor. My doctor was closed. So I went over to another doctor and it was a, um, it was one of those where you, you come in and you give them your name and then they just make everybody wait. There's no appointments. Sure. And so there's a long wait. They said it's, you know, it's going to be, it's going to be hours that you'll be waiting. So I'm waiting and they, they're calling out names. And at one point they go, Vanessa, Vanessa. And this woman comes hustling up and she goes, did you say Vanessa or Tanessa? <laughs> and the lady goes, said Vanessa and she's like okay and she goes hustles back to her seat about Uh, 20 minutes later you know Vanessa goes in but about 20 minutes later they're like Tanessa and then Tanessa comes back up she's like did you say Tanessa this time and I felt for Tanessa that's a tough situation to be in oh yeah the other thing that happened to me while I'm there, they're, they're looking for a guy named Harold, and they're going around. They're like, is there a Harold here? Is Harold here? And finally, they come right up to me, and she goes, is there a Harold? And I said, in the entire world? <laughs> and, and it got no reaction whatsoever. Uh. So, so I went out to dinner. I went out to you know an early New Year's Eve dinner, and I, I, it was at like a pizza place. You know, but one of those ones where you sit down and the waitress comes over. Mm-hmm. And she said, uh, she said, what would you like? And I said, I, I, I'd like the, the, the cheesesteak, you know, with just cheese. Uh, and she goes, oh, okay, so you don't want lettuce, tomato, oil, and vinegar on it? What? <laughs> and I said, no, no, I, I want the, the cheesesteak, like a Philly cheesesteak. And she goes, 
Well, I don't know what that is. <laughs> <laughs> and for anybody that doesn't know, we, we live in New Jersey, so Philadelphia is not very far. And so I was like, is it like a greasy, you know, hot cheese steak, or are you talking about like a roast beef sandwich? <laughs> so finally I was like, I'll just take pizza, because I don't know what you're talking about, and I don't think we'll ever meet. But she's like, I don't know what Philly-style steak is, sir. Goodness. You know what? I think that was a good decision, though, because I – Definitely don't think you would have gotten a traditional <laughs> cheesesteak. I don't know what I was getting. So, but I did. I did not make it to the twelfth round. I fell asleep. The last time I looked at the clock, eleven forty. The next time it was four a.m. But I did record it and I watched it the next day. So I feel like I lived through it. Sure. Okay. Yes. <laughs> so twelve rounds. This is this is a great movie. I don't want to tip my hand to whether I tap or not, but this is an exciting, fun movie that you and I both saw in the theater. Yes. Yes, I think uh, we uh, we can proudly say that we saw two of two uh, major theatrical John Cena releases in theaters. Yeah, let's uh, let's roll out the plot summary. All right, this is straight from the Extreme Edition DVD. When New Orleans police detective Danny Fisher, John Cena, stops a brilliant thief from getting away with a multi-million dollar heist, the thief's girlfriend is accidentally killed. After escaping from prison, the criminal mastermind enacts his revenge taunting Danny with 12 rounds of near-impossible puzzles and tasks that he must somehow compete to save the life of the woman he loves. All right. Now, how did this movie do? Uh, it was released in March of 2009, actually a couple weeks before WrestleMania, and it opened in seventh place behind uh, Race to Witch Mountain, of all movies, which featured The Rock. Mm -hmm. And number one film that week was Monsters vs. Aliens. Um 12 rounds would eventually go on to uh, gross a little over $12 million. So it didn't really light uh, the box office up. Right. So this, and, and it is a low budget film, but this made less, I believe, than the Marine and some of his, you know, some of the other WWE releases. So this, this was kind of a letdown, by the way, escape, uh, or I guess race to which mountain there was the escape to which mountain was the sequel, but uh, that one has the rock, but the original one, had Tiger Joe Marsh in it, uh, who's also a wrestling star who we've talked about before. Oh, wow, cool. But not in The Rock's part. Yeah. For God's sakes, Tiger Joe could not have done any of that dialogue. He, uh, and, and I may be, he may be in Escape to Witch Mountain or From Witch Mountain. He's in one of them. I've seen both of the, the, uh, 1970s versions and he's got a, you know, like a, a, a nameless thug kind of part in it. Okay, yeah, I remember watching those movies as a kid, and all I remember about them now is that the entire concept from the name on down just creeped me out a lot. Yeah, yeah, they're, they're the, those are the types of movies that you'd watch as a kid, and, you know, these, these kids are going onto a spaceship and all that. And as a kid, you know, the movie that did this to me the worst was Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, where you watch it, and you just get the creeps, and the, the adults with you are like, come on, it's just a movie, it's a movie, it's horrifying. This is, I don't understand this. The the biggest surprise about Twelve Rounds is Rennie Harlan. Yes, director Rennie Harlan, who I can't imagine anybody listening to this podcast has not seen one of his movies. In the late eighties, this guy exploded and and worked on some just you know very 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 popular films. Yeah, this is uh, Die Hard Two, Nightmare on Elm Street Four, The Dream Master. Uh, cliffhanger, as well as the, the, the bombastic cutthroat island, Deep Blue Sea, which I really, really love. Yes, I think, uh, I saw that in the theater with you multiple times, mm -hmm. and I think, counting off the top of my head right now, I think I saw Deep Blue Sea in, in theaters at least five times. Deep Blue Sea is so rewatchable. It's a, it's an awesome, fun movie. And actually, we saw it as a double feature with Lake Placid, I believe, one night. I believe we were able to squeeze those two movies during their, you know, uh, during their times in the theaters so that we could see two different monster, aquatic monster movies. And That's a double you, feature that still holds up. It does. It, and, and it also holds up because Deep Blue Sea's got a, a traditional running time, but I believe Lake Placid is like an hour and 15 minutes. So it, <laughs> it works well as a double feature. He also did Driven with Sylvester Stallone, who of course has a lot, uh, in wrestling lore, having worked with Hulk Hogan in Rocky Three, and, you know, in, in many ways building to the main event of WrestleMania. Yes. And Stallone also had a, a hilarious name in Driven that escapes me at the moment. 
All right, we'll look it up and we'll get back to that. And whenever you come up with it, just pop in with it. Uh, cause I want to talk a little bit about, you know, we talk about the director everybody knows. I want to talk about the writer who, who I didn't even know. I, yes. I, I doubt you knew of him. Uh, <laughs> Joe I, Tanto. Not as, as crazy as I thought. Joe Tanto. I like that. I, I do like that though. Uh, but Daniel Kunkka, this is a guy, this is his only IMDb credit. So this is a guy who's possibly an up and comer. You know, yes. but wrote this this script, which I think is so tight, is so clever. You know, and so this is this is somebody who is other than that is a mystery. And we looked him up; he is a real guy. Um, I thought for a moment that maybe this was a name that Rennie Harlan used or somebody else used. You know, to to write this script, but it appears this is a guy, and this is I don't know what else he's doing, or or maybe he's got uh, uh, you know some other work. What, what have you found out? Um, I did find his Twitter account, and according to that, he's currently working on a film called Agent Ox, which on IMDb is one of those IMDb Pro movies, and also lists Crime of the Century, which I wasn't able to find much out about. But he is pretty active on, on Twitter, which was cool to see. All right. Well, we're going to have to see if we can find him, because I'm very interested in this, because th- this script, I feel, is certainly the high point of this movie i really like the way this script plays out there's it's it's a clever idea it's a concept you can describe quickly and it it works well and i i i i'm sure there's plot holes but i don't look for those things in a movie like this yeah and actually i i watched this you know um again when we were you know getting ready to do this movie and normally after i watch a movie you know, a couple of minutes later, a half hour, hour later, I'll be doing something else and I'll think of something and say, nah, you know, there's a hole here. But I'll tell you, this is a movie that's pretty tight. I won't say airtight, but it's yeah. pretty tight when it comes to everything making sense. Yeah, we'll see when we get to the end. It's it's far-fetched and, and a little crazy, but I think it still works. Starts out, we've got this sting operation by the FBI. We see this 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 bad guy, Miles Jackson. I got a real Ed Norton vibe from this guy. Yeah, Aiden Gillen. And, and it's funny, I, I'm a big fan of the TV show from HBO called The Wire. So every time he pops up in a movie, I, I'd say, oh, that's Carcetti from The Wire. Um, since 12 rounds, now every time when he pops up, including in this summer's The Dark Knight Rises, I say, hey, it's Miles from 12 rounds. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, – I mean, he is really, really good in this. We have this opening scene. We have the him in the – you know, he, the guy is, is, is taped with a wire or whatever. It's, it's, you know, it's your standard kind of FBI informant kind of scene. Yeah, but there's all kinds of double-crossing going on. Right. And then eventually we get to the scene. John Cena shows up. He's a police officer named Danny Fisher. He's there with his partner, and the two of them are just doing their job. Yep. And so yeah, they're, they're street cops. Some chicanery goes on, and an innocent bystander runs down Miles' girlfriend just before he gets caught. Yeah. And right. I mean, I, I'm I'm glossing over a lot there, but I mean, that's basically what happens. Yeah. And it's funny. The one thing I took note of here is the the opening sequence, basically the setup for this movie before we get to the 12 rounds is 20 minutes into the movie. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> so there's a pretty big setup here. Yeah. And I think that that I think that Miles pulls it off. I think this is a a really good performer. And I mean, when he's looking at CNN, he's like, what is your name? What is I love that stuff. I mean, it's chilling. It's good. It's it's Mm -hmm. you know, it's it's a little bit more than you than you expect in a in a in a wrestling movie. And it, it definitely comes off wonderfully. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. So we then cut to a year later. Yes, where we get the <laughs> the great the transition, round. which is on a uh, a cue ball, where it says one year later, and then Cena and his buddy uh, Hank are playing pool um, at a bar, and we learn that they both made detective. Right. Yeah. They, but I love those wacky transitions, and that one jumped out as being very, very interesting. Now, at this time, we see you know uh, uh, if if we hadn't picked it up during the opening. We can see this as Nolans because they give him his beer to take out when he leaves the restaurant. They, yes, they, they force seen his cup. beer in a cup, uh, yes. which which is bizarre to everyone else. And I'm sure most people watching the movie were like, "What? What? What did they just do? What just happened? What is Cena <laughs> drinking? What, what planet are they on?" Um, yes. So 
at this point, I want to mention, you just came back from a trip to New Orleans, which is the other reason why we decided this would be a fun movie to cover. Yeah, um, uh, late la- uh, earlier uh, or late last year, mm-hmm. um, I, I went down for the first time, um, and I was really, really excited to check that city out because, surprisingly, um, it's got an incredible movie history, and 12 Rounds was one of the movies I was most excited about sort of scoping out locations for. Yeah, so what did you, uh, do you want to throw them in as you come up here, or do you want to give us an overview right now? Well, I'll say it's funny. Um, where I was staying was right off of Canal Street, which is where a huge sequence in the movie takes place, which is the the runaway trolley car. Um, and I could almost look out of my window and see the, the trolley car line and then also the Saks Fifth Avenue, which Cena runs past, and the um, quote-unquote power plant that they crashed the car in to shut power down. So that was pretty exciting. And what is the power plant? Um, it's just, it's just a, a gem or it's a, yeah. it's a series of, uh, big transformers, I guess, right. um, right down by the, um, by the water there, uh, which is where the, you know, the streetcars actually, um, I guess, end their, end their run. It, it, it was not a power plant. So we get the first round, which at this point we haven't learned. We don't learn it's, it's that we're going to be doing rounds until I think what round three, I think that's where he finally explains the game to him. Yeah, I think he refers to it as as round one. Okay, um, early on. Yeah, I mean, it, it it's a little fuzzy. The first time, I mean, obviously you know going into it it's 12 rounds, but you're kind of waiting for that to be set up. And this, this first round... And for round, Cena to know it too, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, the first round is is essentially uh, they, they, they blow up his house. Cena, Cena runs out of the house with his dog, and the house blows up. And this yeah. poor plumber, I love this plumber. This I wanted to see the movie where it's just this plumber getting John in trouble with his wife. Yes, and somehow work Willie into it too. The, the uh, dog the elevator guy. Oh God, I, I, I don't give me. I'm gonna cry when we get to the get to the round where Willie loses it. Um, so he hands Cena just, and this just seems so strange to me. He just walks over to some random kids, which I guess are his neighbors, and it's just like. Watch my dog for the rest of the movie, and that's yeah. it. I mean, we never see the dog again. Yeah, it almost seemed like somebody. You almost think it was Renny Harlan was like, "I want to put my bulldog in the movie." Yeah, yeah. So I think at this point we should explain the title. People that aren't boxing fans may not have noticed. You know that that there's a a, a method to the title. Twelve rounds is how long generally championship boxing matches are today. Um, However, prior to, you know, uh, prior to recent times, it wasn't 12 rounds. Matches would go on, you know, sometimes up to 20 rounds. Generally, 15 rounds was a, was a standard championship fight. And that was going the distance, you know. And so that's why the metaphor for this movie, he's got to survive. He's got to go the distance, you know, go all 12 rounds with Miles. Um, in, uh, in boxing matches, they would, they would have... The title matches, you know, for, for, they would never have it for less than 15 rounds. Uh, I looked this up. There was one heavyweight title match that was scheduled for less than 15 rounds, which was a 10 round fight from September of 1927 between Gene Tunney and Jack Dempsey. Wow. Yeah. But other than that, everything was 15 rounds with the exception of a 20 rounder between Joe Lewis and Abe Simon in March of 1941. Now, oh, my God, that had to be a true slobber knocker. <laughs> it really must have been great. Now, in, uh, in, in 1982, there was a, uh, there was a light, lightweight boxer named Duck Koo Kim. I remember this. This was a big, big story. He yeah. died in the ring after a 14-round fight with Ray Mancini. And, and people were, were terribly shocked. You know, this was, you know, a huge, huge problem for boxing. And so slowly they started to get rid of the, the, you know, fights that were more than 12 rounds. A lot of people believe that that doesn't make a difference, that there's no difference between getting pummeled for 12 rounds and 15. If you're going to do that, you might as well go back to five rounds or something. And that the, the shortening the fight really takes away from, 
you know, a lot of times fights will go to 12 rounds. The guy still got gas in the tank. They still could go a little bit longer. And those extra three rounds would help decide the fight rather than it going to a, a you know, a judge's card to, for them to decide the fight. Um, but they feel that the reason may be, here's the sinister thought. This may just be a television thing that it's easier to fit it to a standard television time block with those three rounds lopped off. Yeah. Well, what I mean that—that's what six minutes or something. Yeah, you're losing. You're losing yeah. a good amount of time. So, I don't know. I—I uh, I don't want to make any uh, any kind of opinion on it simply because the guy died, <laughs> you know. And I don't want. I don't want to, you know, some goofball, uh, you know, uh, uh, giving his opinion. I—I I don't know uh, if uh, if it, if it's helping, you know, guys that are getting punched in the head to to live a little bit longer. Great. If it's not, you know, um, I guess maybe, it's, you know, they should look into it, but apparently there's been a lot of push to, to see if they can go back to 15 rounds, at which point I guess Rennie will have to come up with a director's cut of this movie to give us a few yes. more rounds. <laughs> and I would love that <laughs> round two. Uh, Molly gets kidnapped. Tell me about this scene. Yeah, she, it's actually a really, really cool sequence. Molly is taking the ferry across the Mississippi to get to work, um, and there's a guy on the ferry who's sort of designed to distract Molly from answering the phone in case Cena calls. So Cena tries to call her, of course, can't reach her, gets in his car and tries to run down the the ferry. Yes, which is such a John Cena move. Yeah, and actually, um, I rode this ferry... Uh, when I was out in New Orleans, so it's another awesome. little movie uh, location that I uh, I took that ferry ride, which was very cool. Now, to your knowledge, is are were you riding the same ferry or the same ferry route? Is there only one ferry? From what I understand, and I did not cross reference the title or the name of the ferry, um, but from all indications, there was only one ferry out on the water um, that took me, you know, from side to side. Right. So um, we're going so to assume they, it's, yeah, unless they have a second one that, you know, maybe they rotate them on different days yeah. and it's someplace else. Mm -hmm. Odds yeah. are. And another, another, yeah, another interesting thing is, um, and this might be a southern thing, the, uh, it's probably maybe a eight minute ferry ride. It's not a long ride at all, but it is completely free. That's nice. Yeah. Interesting. You know, I was really surprised, and this is another movie thing and a movie that has a wrestler in it. The whole thing when, when I saw Spider-Man, which, uh, you know, of course, Macho Man's in it, and they have the, that, um, the scene with the, with the, like, the cable car thing that, uh, that's falling. You know what I'm talking about? Yes. Um, what's it called? Is that the, like, the Staten Island ferry? What is that thing called? The, you know, the, uh, Roosevelt Island, uh, yeah, yeah, it's like a tram. ride. What the hell is it? Yeah, I don't yeah. know what it's called. Whatever, like that they have it Six Flags there, you know. Yeah, whatever that thing is, that really exists, and it's like a buck fifty to take it. Yeah, which is which is not free, but it's pretty good. I mean, that's you know, oh. it's one of those oddball things that you know that uh, is a lot cheaper than. For God's sakes, anytime I get, I go anywhere, it costs me fifty bucks. I know. <laughs> So that's pretty good. You went on the ferry. Did you have a reason, or did you just say I want to ride the ferry? Actually, I, I did have a reason. I, I did want to re ride the ferry, but on the other side um, was the Old Point Bar, which is one of the most filmed bars in the South, um, and most recently it was seen in The Expendables 2. Oh, very good. So is this the scene where Dolph is doing equations on a napkin? Yes. Oh, uh, nice. and, um Like most movie locations, um, it looked so much smaller than it does in the movie, but I was able to sit at the bar and have a drink, and they have pictures all along the wall of all the celebrities that have filmed movies there. Um, so it was very, very cool to uh, to go home and uh, and pop the, 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 the Blu-ray of Expendables 2 and, and watch the scene after I had been there. Totally. It's, it's this weird otherworldly thing where when you walk onto a set of a movie that you've seen more than once, you have this, you know, Hey, I've been here before, but I've never been here. It's, it's really cool. Yeah. yeah. Round three. So Miles is going to call a cell phone at 15, 15 minutes. And <laughs> yes. And this is where we get the, he's constantly switching out SIM cards. Yeah. Constantly. Which is, yeah, yeah. Uh, that is, that is something. This may be the first and only movie I've ever seen where they show someone taking a SIM card out of the back of a cell phone. 
Yeah, it almost feels like it could have been like, okay, we saw him do it the first time. I guess we're all smart enough to assume he does it every time. But no, Rennie, just make sure we, we, we know that he's switching that out. As a quick sidebar, I find that cell phones date movies so quickly because we change our – everybody now has a cell phone that's the shape of an iPhone, right? Yes. That's what everyone uh-huh. has. Five years from phone, now yeah. – yeah, five years from now, it might be round. We, you know, yeah. I can't, I can't, it might look like a flask in five years. It might, it might be shaped like, you know, uh, one of those egg timers from the fifties. I don't know, but yeah. right now that's what they all look like. So when you watch a movie that's three years old, all of a sudden you're like, what is that? What is that he's holding? <laughs> yeah, they're all holding flip phones. Yes. They're, which at the time seemed totally logical. All right. Yes. Now, now it's like, you're like, Hey, that's the phone that my dad has, you know, that yes. cause he's too cheap <laughs> and- to upgrade. And it almost feels like um, the newer style phones would have really benefited Cena because when he's holding the phone, it never doesn't look absurd. Yeah, because he because he is he's gigantic and he's holding this little tiny child's phone in his in his hand. It reminded me of a sketch on Saturday Night Live from the Will Ferrell era where he was playing this, you know, rich fashion designer who was very trendy. And at the end of the skit, he pulls out a a phone that's the size of, like, someone's pinky, and he's talking on it. And I instantly thought of that when I saw Cena holding the phone. Yeah, well, it was – that was the era was we were getting our phones as small as possible. We were They were folding in half just to make them smaller. And then one day they were like, "Eh, let's go back to really big phones again. I think we need we need the we need the space. Um, So he's going to call, you know, he's going to call him. He's got to go to the spot where they first met, the spot where she got killed in the car. You know, the car hit her and they go there. And this is where we get a kind of a neat scene with this. You know, hey, this this is not writing from Katrina. There's like spray painted x's or squares on the buildings and the date is is that date it's you know like um uh, may you know 2008 on the on the wall and so they go there and that's the firehouse where danny's brother works and the phone rings in the cell phone store nearby after he gets everybody to pull their cell phone out and and i like that i thought that was a neat little change that it actually was in the store nearby it seemed believable that cena could figure all of this out because uh, yes. a lot of times in a movie like this, you're like, well, I think he should be dead by now. There's no way a guy could figure out all of these things. But I like that. I thought that was a good round. Yeah, me too. Round four, the bank scene. So oh, this got, is a great round. He's got to go in there and get the uh, the security boxes that are on the top floor. Tell me about this because this, this is a pretty exciting part. Yeah, it actually they're, – they're basically dispatched from the firehouse because there's a reported fire – at the bank. So uh, Danny and his brother actually um, sort of, you know, go off on their own once they get there to get these security boxes. Um, and then we learn that um, there are just smoke bombs um, uh, in the bank. Um, but it still makes for a very, very cool scene. So uh, the FBI shows up. We get our two FBI agents that are doing the good cop, bad cop routine. We've yes. get. Special Agent Aiken, who's got a little toy car that he flips the hood on with his thumb. And then mm-hmm. we get Santiago. So those are our two guys that they know a lot about Miles. We don't know if they're, if they're corrupt or not. We're, uh, yes. we're wondering. Yeah, I loved these two characters. I thought Aiken was great. Santiago turned out to be a really, really fun character. But th- that was one thing I wanted to mention is there were so many moments in this movie where I was waiting for either one of these FBI guys or even Cena's friend uh, and fellow cop to turn on him because it seemed like each one of them was filmed with the sort of hint that they could turn. Right. And it, it, it maybe almost speaks to the, you know how creative this script was That's in the sense that it – it didn't give you that where you're constantly thinking, okay, his friend is going to turn on him or, you know, and we didn't get that moment, which was so, was really cool. Round five. Uh, so one of the boxes has a bomb in it. The other one has a clue to the next round. So he's got to get to the nickel street wharf. And uh, you, you, you saw this. I did not. Okay. So this is an area that you, that you didn't get to, but so he's got to get there in seven minutes you can't tell us if that's possible or not, but we'll assume that that is a very, very tight squeeze, just like they tell us in the movie. Um, yes. He uses the fire truck. They get there with six minutes left. 
He's got to go down, like, you know, up through the stairs, and he goes out the window with this mm-hmm. spool of, like, cable, and he's, like, like hanging down with these giant bags that almost have big dollar signs on them and just say money. Yes. <laughs> you know, they're like the cartoon money bags. Yes. Um, and, he, and, he, and he, like, falls at one point, and everybody goes, <gasps> and then, you know, he's all right because he's John Cena. He just gets up, does it, you can't see me to the, <laughs> to the ground, and keeps going. I want to mention the the bag that he put them in. He puts them in a bag and ties them around like his waist, I think. And that bag sold on WWE auction, and they don't do that anymore. The I auction know. site, and I love that. But I bid on that. I did not win it, but I, I bid up to I think a hundred and maybe a hundred and fifty bucks. But uh, it went it went for a lot more. Uh, but wow. I was I was very excited. Well, because I think my thing was I was like, wow, I'd love that for fifty. And I put in fifty, and it didn't get it. And I was like, "Well, maybe I could double that." And then I, and then I didn't get it for a hundred. And at this point, it was getting towards the end. And I was like, "All right, you know what? I'm going all in. I'm going one hundred and fifty. And then I didn't get it. And, and so, you know, so what? You know, life moves on. But uh, it did look pretty exciting to to be able to say I, I had the goofy because. Mo- when I saw that in the theater, that was one of the things that couldn't stop. And it's it may be just me, but the concept of the money bag, you know, from the yes. old bank robbery just made me laugh. Yeah. And I got to tell you, I do miss those WWE auctions because um, it was very funny because you would go on. And <laughs> I know where you're be, going. <laughs> there would be these great, great items. You know, you'd have, you know, uh, right, chairs. Let me, uh, let me set one up. I'll tell you that, they, that one of the items I know that was on there was the table that, that Seamus put John Cena through or John Cena fell, fell through when, when Seamus won his first WWE title. So this is on there. And what else would be on well, and then you get action figures signed. Sure, but, sure. But the hottest items in terms mm-hmm. of bidding action would be... <laughs> know exactly where you're going. Diva-worn clothing from yeah. photo shoots. Yeah, they'd be like, Brie Bella wore this shirt in a photo shoot for WWE Magazine. You'd be like, well, really? That's just to a wrestling fan? And I know, I get it. They're attractive. But to get her her worn shirt, that's more exciting than getting you know something that was part of a title change in a match. That just, just blows my mind. They're like, hey, a third string diva, you know, her pom poms from this photo shoot, or or you could get you know you know the uh, the mat that Bruno San Martino wrestled you know against you know uh, Bob Backlund on. I don't know. Yeah, I really wonder why they stopped doing it. I, I wonder if it just wasn't worth the hassle or they decided they were just going to keep all that stuff in the, uh, in the archives. Yeah, that also could be it. And, I mean, it may be one of those things that ran its course where, you know, you do it for a short period of time, you get all that money, and then it starts to get old to people. And the guys, you know, like, for example, I never bought anything. If I paid $150 for the money bags, that's the only thing I would have ever bought. Oh, yeah. So, that's my, you know, that would have been my purchase. I would have always said, oh, I won one thing on that. And I would have never gone back, you know. You would have had to really woo me after that, you know, because I would have made my purchase. So maybe that's kind of it. You know, a lot of people that, you know, it's a one purchase thing. Yeah, yeah. All right, so he, he eventually throws the one box into the water. That's the one with the bomb. It goes kaboom. And then we move on to round six. Yes. And they head to the uh, Hotel Monteleone. Now, Which, it, how does it pronounce? Is it Monteleon? Um, yeah, sure. Monteleon? Yeah. <laughs> yes, Monteleon. Uh, I think it's Monteleone. It is how you say Monteleone? <laughs> this is a hotel that is right on Bourbon Street. Um, and um, I was inside of, I was in the lobby, I was outside. Um, I spent a lot of time here. All right. Now, this is this is the most complex and most interesting round this is the round with willie why don't you tell me about it and, t- and give me any insight you have about you know uh being on the location all right so they basically um they have a room key they go to the front desk they find out what room it's for they go to the room and of course uh miles isn't there but there is a uh, polaroid left on the bed um that shows his wife tied up they uh, they go to see the uh, surveillance footage and they toggle through it and sure enough uh, Miles shows up, but he expected to show up because he writes a little note and holds it up to the camera saying we are still here. Mm-hmm. Um, and at that point they look at more footage and they see that Miles was walking in the in the in the back hallway with uh, with Willie 
Um, <laughs> and Danny goes to speak to Willie, and they get on the elevator um, to, to go to the roof, and then things don't go too well. This is this is the the toughest part, man. I love this. This I think is where I get locked in on this movie, and I love this movie for the rest of it because I'm so invested. So basically, the elevator is going to drop. I think Cena has a minute that he can get out, but he can't save Willie. Willie's too big, and yeah. Cena's using his super strength to pull him through the 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 you know like the the shaft at the top, the big hole through the top. And and the elevator drops anyway, and he doesn't make it. And we find out Miles dropped the elevator early. Yes, seven seconds early. So he wouldn't let Cena win. Cena couldn't beat him at this round. There was just no way he could do it. Yeah, which which play, which basically sort of comes into play later on when they when they figure out what's really going on here. So then then we get on to the bus, and I really like the bus scene. I found the bus scene really tense, where where Molly's on on the bus, Danny finds her, and she's wearing a bomb under her jacket, and Miles is on the bus. And I, yes. I found this scene to be great because I really thought, how are we getting out of this? You know what. Oh, is the, what is the solution? Is 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 uh, Cena going to have to fly around the world backwards to get us before we got on the bus? Yeah, this almost felt like a scenario that would happen in a in another movie, and that would be the movie. Oh yeah, yeah. You know, the, the oh. whole time on the bus, and um, it turns out Miles is on the bus as well. And as soon as Aiken, the FBI agent, hears Miles, he loses his his shit. He's ready <laughs> to call. He calls in the snipers. He's ready to just kill Miles. Um, right. and, and at that point, uh, Miles has pulled the wire off of Cena, and uh, Aiken is unaware that um, if, if Miles' uh, thumb comes off of this uh, this trigger, um, for more Miles than a few seconds, yeah, yeah, he's got to he's got to keep it off though, because he shows us how he can take it off real quick. Yeah, right. So, I mean, he, he like yeah, pulls yeah. It off and kind of teases with it. Yeah, yeah. So it's a really tense sequence because the snipers are setting up to to, and, and Aiken finally gives the okay to give the shot. Cena has the earpiece in so he can hear all of this going on and he knows if, if Miles is shot, you know, it's, it's his, his girlfriend's dead and, uh, you know, potentially the whole, the whole bus blows up. Right. So what happens? How do, how do we get out of this? Well, Cena basically, uh, pulls Molly and Miles down and gets shot in the arm himself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, the bus, you know, of course stops and, uh, in the confusion, uh, Molly and Miles are able to uh, blend into the crowd and, and disappear and leaving an incredibly frustrated uh, Danny Fisher. Yes, he, this is a great part where he goes over and talks to Aiken. He doesn't just talk to him. <laughs> he gives him a nice right hook. I love that. I really like that. Yeah, this was a good scene. All right, round seven, we've got, uh, we've got them looking at uh, like uh, paintings in the lobby of, of the Hotel Monteleon. Yes, which is not on Bourbon Street. It's on Royal Street. Oh, interesting. I just wanted to correct myself there, but it's in that whole cluster, the you know the main party section, uh, you know that everybody goes to for uh, you know uh, Mardi Gras. All right. So he finds a uh, he finds a, a note, you know, that says that gives him some information. He goes over to uh, it was like Claiborne and Toulouse is written yes. on it, and this takes us to round eight where Santiago approaches Danny and offers to help him. And at this point, we're wondering, is Santiago, is he going to turn? Is this where the turd's coming? Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things you're expecting it. So they've got, like, they've got numbers, and, you know, one of them will disarm all four of them. But if you dial wrong, you get the the bomb will explode. And yes. so, uh, so anyway, he dials one. Miles answers, tells him he got it wrong. And then we go to round nine. Now, this is the streetcar. Yes. So you have some, you know, you were, you were there and saw the streetcar. Yes, I was actually really excited uh, for the streetcars in general because they're so historic. Mm-hmm. You know, of course, you know, you have the car from Streetcar Named Desire, which is actually still running. Unfortunately, the line on Canal Street was, was down for repairs. The Super Bowl is going to be held in New Orleans um, this, this year. So they've been... When I was there, they were frantically scrambling to get the city ready for it. The hotels were renovating, and unfortunately, they had taken that main trolley line off service to, uh, to I guess, renovate it and make sure it was ready for the Super Bowl. So I had to ride an, an alternate line, which unfortunately neither of those trolleys um, rode on. 
All right. So tell me about the actual scene here, the actual round nine. What happens at the what happens on the trolley itself? Mm-hmm. Well, the, the the brakes blow out on the trolley. The the driver, the conductor, um, he, we can call him a conductor. I think he earned it. Probably he probably went to conductor <laughs> school. Um, he uh, he discovers that he's out of control. At Wait, that do you point, think do you think they ever they ever call for a conductor from like the the agency and they send over like a music conductor and he's like I am ready am I conducting at the Hotel Monteleon? And they're like no and he's like I will do a symphony I will do a symphony for you and they're like no you pull the handbrake and you push it forward. Okay, I will do it. I can do that too. I, I went to both conductor schools. I have all bases covered. Um so Danny comes flying in in, in a cop car, and this is a really, To be honest, really... I am better at this kind of conducting. I didn't want to let you know, but I would have been crap at the other type of conducting. I just want to wear the hat. I like to wave the stick. <laughs> right, go on. So um, Danny rushes in in a car, and, and this is a really, really exciting scene. I mean, you have a runaway um, – trolley car and and uh, danny's big idea is to uh, get in front of it back yeah, into and, it and slam on the brakes uh, see i thought he was going to get in front of it and give it the, give it the fu because that would have should have that would have really made this the greatest movie of all time yes he just gives it an aa yeah. <laughs> with all the people on it yeah no and this is probably what do you think the most exciting scene in the movie oh definitely definitely it's it's the closest thing to a um, to a, a, a true climax that the film has, even though we do have that whole hel- helicopter sequence. But for my money, this is really the, the, the peak of the film in terms of, you know, as, as exciting and, and, and as high as the action's going to get. This feels very Rennie Harlan. Oh, yes. I mean, this is the scene where I really feel like I'm watching a Rennie Harlan movie. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Cena, he gets out of the car at one point. He ends up on board the trolley. He ends up on the roof of the trolley. He finally ends up back in the car. Um, and, you know, the whole time they, they realize that they have to cut power to that trolley. It's the only way to stop it. And, and you know, they finally end up crashing their car into into the power plant. All right. Now, round 10 is confusing. What <laughs> What exactly is round 10? Yeah, it almost feels like at this point they... They were you like, think, you think Rennie's on set being like, can't we make it 11 rounds? I just have 11 rounds. Yeah. I, I lost count at this point because I, I remember at this point saying, wait, hold on. I, uh, why is it round 11? Yeah, exactly. It's like round 10 is when him and Hank took Deluso. Yes. That's according to what I found on Wikipedia. So that is, is what round 10 is. And I guess this is spoken in a line of dialogue from Miles that I lo- lost because I was so excited cheering at the, end of the, at the end of the big scene on the streetcar. Yes. So we go to round 11. And uh, this is, uh, you know, Miles keeps explaining what the rounds are. And he says, this is taking, taking your best friend or whatever, right? He says, he says I'm going to take your best friend. And so uh, uh, Hank goes into this. Um, this like factory and he gets, he gets taken out. We actually, uh, we, we seemingly see the end of Hank. Yeah. But I got to tell you, he goes out, um, as cool as can be because the, the guy that I guess was the bait to get him there didn't realize that he was also getting sacrificed here. Right. So, um, that's Deluso, you know, it's it's the guy who taunts him. Yes. So then, um, Hank's last words are, um, um, Something to the effect of uh, you didn't realize that you were you were sacrificed as well, and then he calls him a bitch, and then he blows <laughs> up. And I got to tell you, you know, I I, I I don't ever want to find myself in that situation, but I don't think that I would be able to keep my cool as well as Hank did. <laughs> All right, walk me through round twelve, please, Craig. <laughs> okay, so this is actually a pretty a pretty long round i know uh, but, but we have time for it so let's <laughs> let's take our time and work people through because i think a lot of people have seen this movie but they saw it in 2008 so they may not remember this part all right so miles calls danny and he tells him that in a few minutes it will be exactly one year since his girlfriend erica's death all danny has to do to find molly um is go to um the cemetery where Erica's buried. Uh, she'll right. have a look uh, at her tombstone. Yes. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, Molly will be there. She'll have a bomb on her chest, and Danny's fingerprint will be the only thing that can disarm it. Um, at that point, um, this is when they start putting together. They learn that all the numbers in the envelope were of cell phones rigged to the streetcar. So regardless of of, of what Cena did, that streetcar was getting out of control. They right. learned through the camera surveillance video that uh, Miles blew the, the elevator uh, seven seconds too early and that there was right. no way for him to save, save Willie. This is where they really start putting together that all of these 12 rounds were sort of a big distraction to allow Miles to do something much more sinister. Right, and he's he's robbing a bank, and he does this by throwing the money into the sewer. He uses Willie's like ID card. He throws the money into the sewer. He goes through the sewer and then takes the fire truck to, which I guess this works, I guess, to suck the money and the sewage out of sewer. Uh, and then I guess later he'll separate the sewage from the money. Yes. Yeah. After they, uh, they, they load it all up in body bags, him and Molly and bring it to the roof of the, the, the hospital. And, and at this point, uh, they figured it out. Uh, Cena knows that, um, the only reason they were going to the cemetery was so they were far away from Miles, who would be able to escape. Right now, we get a we get a big climax at the very end on the helicopter, which you <laughs> mentioned before. I like this scene. <laughs> yes, uh, there's a you know uh, you know as the helicopter's taking off, Cena does the, the the great you know run and jump and grabs the uh, the leg of the helicopter and climbs up photographed really well it's one of those things where you watch and you say okay i don't understand how they did this it looked that good um there's a fight on the helicopter um cena overpowers him of course and uh it seems like uh we're all ready to go home happy and miles activates a bomb and uh basically lets them know that they're all going down right but they don't. <laughs> yeah. So Molly is very, very keen. She says, I can land the helicopter. I can do this. And Cena says, there's no time. Do you trust me? And at this point, do you think Cena knew that there was a pool for them to jump into? <laughs> I I hadn't thought about it. It it doesn't make sense that he would know. You know, yeah. I, I guess cops know a lot of stuff. Yeah. You know, but seems a little far-fetched. Yes. So they they jump out of the helicopter uh, at the last minute and um, onto this rooftop pool. Um, the helicopter explodes. Danny loses loses his mind. I mean, it's the it's the great you know bad guy going insane as he explodes scene. Oh yeah, yeah. And then and you then know, we, we get a, a you know a rainfall of money. Mm-hmm. We get the rainfall of money. We get Aiken throwing the the car away. You know, the FBI agent, you know, the little toy yeah. car that he was holding because it reminded him of, of a mistake he had made in another case. Yes. Or in another part of this case. Or I think he had found that at, at the, 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 yeah. the crime scene of one of Miles' uh, right. earlier uh, terrorist ah, attacks. So it was not a mistake. It was it was the justice he wanted to get was for whoever the child was that had this car. Or what I like to think, there was a guy there that's like, I have the best retro matchbox <laughs> car set in the world. Yeah, yeah Miles. <laughs> And Miles is just like, what is your name? <laughs> Why would you ask my name? <laughs> uh, I really thought that, that Aiken, Special Agent, A- Agent Aiken, should have had like a single tear running down his face as he tossed it. And then he should have he should have done like the really big Predator high five with <laughs> Cena. And then they should have had a montage of them jumping up and down on the beach. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> With big uh, striped socks on. That's right. That's right. So it, so uh, this is when the credits roll. But before that, we get we get a little wacky comedy. Um, where Cena says uh, she goes, "Let's get." Where, let's, she's like, "Let's go home," and he's like, "Honey, about that." Yes. And, and then <laughs> I really expected the French conductor to show up and be like, "Ready," and then the guy with the horn go, "Whoa, whoa," and he's like, "I did my part." Yes. And there's actually. Uh, on the, the Extreme Edition DVD, which has a theatrical cut and an unrated cut, there are two alternate endings, which I watched for the first time um, just before we got ready to do this show. And um, the two alternate endings run a total uh, – for the two of them run two minutes, and they're basically from the point that Molly and Danny 
are coming out of the pool. <laughs> and in one of them, a security guy runs up and says, um, my goodness, what happened? And uh, Danny says, you just won the lottery. And then in the second one, there's a, a couple in a, in, a, in a hot tub. And um, uh, he says, are you okay? And Danny says, I'm fine. And the guy says, we just got engaged. And Danny says, never let her go. Um, so those are your alternate endings. So, and those would have been in place of the conversation about the house? Um, in, in between it. It looks like they cut out that little bit to save themselves the 15 seconds or whatever. That yeah, it you up. know what? I, I, I don't even think it's that, though. I feel that that kind of ruins the flow of the other joke. I like the joke, you know, of uh, what happened to the house. I like that as being your big punch out, you know, and not throwing in, you know, anything extra with a character we don't know. Yeah. So the state of wrestling during this time, Triple H was champ. <laughs> yes, which, which you know, I it's surprising. I mean, it was 2009, so I should have remembered this. But um, Triple H was the champ. He had won it at the No Way Out pay-per-view in February uh, during an Elimination Chamber match, which included Jeff Hardy, Vladimir Kozlov, The Undertaker, and Big Show. Um, one interesting thing here was the title became a Raw exclusive once again after Triple H was drafted to Raw in April. So at, the, right. at that point, uh, neither title was exclusive to a brand. Is that right? Okay, because yeah. yeah, I know the title switched at one odd point, and I think that, I think this may have been it. But yeah, yeah, that is interesting. Edge had the heavyweight championship at this time, and he also won it at Elimination Chamber, and he lost it to Cena at WrestleMania 25. Um, I see champ JBL, yeah. U.S. champ MVP. We got three initials, you know, for each of the champ I see in, in U.S. champ. I thought that was pretty neat. Yeah, and you know what? You know, both guys that are, you know, pretty much gone, uh, MVPs over in Japan. And, of course, JBL came back now as a commentator. Um, but, uh, you know, for, for not too long ago, uh, it's surprising to see a lot of the names that, that aren't around anymore. Yeah, there was, uh, this was when they were, were com unifying the tag team titles. So you had the, uh, uh, the Colognes had a title, you know, uh, they had the, the tag champs, which is the one that's, that's, that's around now. Yeah. And Morrison and Miz had the other titles that, uh, were then unified when they fought the Colognes in a, in a pre-show match. It wasn't even on the, on WrestleMania 25. It was right before it. Yeah. And uh, the Divas champ was Maryse. Uh She had it for 216 days, 216 hot, sweltering days. <laughs> the longest Diva reign ever. Mm. Yes, Diva. Uh, we're yeah, we're not, not going to include yeah. Fabulous Moolah. Yeah, that, I don't think Fabulous Moolah would have wanted to be a Diva. Mm -hmm. And uh, she held the title for 38 years or some godly <laughs> number. Yeah. Uh, TNA champ was Sting. TNA TV champ AJ Styles. Awesome Kong was the TNA Knockout champ. And uh, we got a I got a uh, a Raw show from March twenty third two thousand nine just to just to give people a flavor for what was going on at this time. Triple H fought against Ted DiBiase and Cody Rhodes to a no contest. Mickey James fought Santino Morella. I wonder if he was doing the the female gimmick at this point Santina, where he was Santina. Yeah. Uh, but in the record book, it says she defeated Santino. Um, Rey Mysterio fought against William Regal and beat him. Big Show defeated Edge in a non-title match. So, I mean, it really, you know, a lot of names on the card like uh, CM Punk we still see today, Kofi Kingston, Kane, you know, and then other guys like Finley, you know, who we don't see at all. Uh, uh, Jeff Hardy, you know, also on the card at that time. So interesting time for wrestling. Uh, I, you know, I, I think that we're in a slightly better place now. Yeah. Uh, but that was a that was a fun era of wrestling. Yeah, and I guess that was really really close to the end of Jeff Hardy's WWE run. Jeff Harvey. <laughs> I uh, I got it. I got a letter, and I I had this in my email. I remembered this about three seconds before we started tonight. Okay, cool. We got it. We got a letter way back when we did the Marine, and I didn't read it, and I was going to read it, and I was like, oh, you know, I'll read this at some point, and I never did. And so this is this is the letter we got. I don't, I doubt this. I hope this guy is still listening. Actually, I shouldn't doubt he's still listening, but maybe he's still listening. Maybe he moved on because we never did twelve rounds in in, in all these weeks. Uh, but he wrote, "I love the Marine episode. I hope the show continues and you do twelve rounds." I found it to be a much worse film than the Marine, despite having a far better director. I felt the whole rounds idea was forced, and the bad guy was as threatening as Harvey Whippleman. <laughs> 
I think the film really signaled the end of the WWE film legacy. From here on in, it sounded like, felt like they were running on fumes, tapfully yours, Brian the Nasty Boy Boyd. <laughs> So I so I thought that was interesting and I and I we didn't read it then and I and I'm glad I found it. So if you're listening, Brian, thank you very much. Uh yes. and I'm glad we finally got around to this movie. Mark Henry, this is a thread I found from the IMDB message board that I thought was worth reading, and I I did notice this. Yes. Um and I was fascinated by this. He wrote, did anyone else notice that the couple in the hot tub at the end of the movie were listening to Mark Henry's sexual chocolate theme? Yeah. They're listening to the, ooh, baby, it's sexual. <laughs> Which is so great. So um, they, he said he checked uh, the credits, and it's credited as sexual by Jim Johnson, who you know did all the WWE music at the time. Uh, which I thought was really funny. Yes, a nice little sort of tip of the hat or a little Easter egg for the uh, the wrestling fans in the audience. Yes, indeed. All right, Craig, all-important question. Did you tap out to 12 rounds? Okay, I will say that 12 rounds coming off of The Marine, which was a movie I really enjoyed. Um, I had nothing but high hopes for it. You had a... Uh, a name director who I really enjoyed his previous work. Um, and it seemed like a movie that was tailor made for Cena and sure enough, it delivered. Um, I think Cena is utilized perfectly here. Um, his character is very in line with sort of who he is in, in or at least who he plays in the WWE. He's a good guy. Uh, he wants to do the right thing. Um, it's fast moving. It's an intelligent script. It's got great action scenes great supporting performances and i think aside from you know um some some times where we sort of see the limits in the budget um it delivers and i think it, it's a better movie than the marine um i enjoyed watching it and i did not tap you know it's interesting you mentioned the budget i really felt that this movie felt higher budget than the than the Marine, much higher. The Marine to me felt a lot like I used to watch a lot of straight to video films when I, I worked at a video store, and we'd get these weird titles, be like back to back with you know with Rutger Hauer and Bobcat Goldwing, yes. and you'd be like, what is this nonsense? And you'd put it in, and it would just something would look off about it, you know, something about the effects, you know, you'd see police cars that had foreign writing on them or something, something there was something really cheap about it, you know, that it seemed to be filmed in some odd place and, and, and things just didn't feel right. And, and the Marine was filmed, you know, it was filmed, I think, in, in New Zealand or Australia. Yeah, it was one of those. Yeah, it was not filmed in, a, in America, and it just doesn't feel like it was. It's yeah. set in America, but it doesn't feel like it. This movie is filmed in America uh, and feels it. I mean, it feels, everything about it feels right, and it feels bigger, and it feels better, and I really like what uh, what what uh, the director brings to it. I really like the script. I think Cena is great, and I really like Miles. I didn't find him to be Harvey Whippleman. I found him to be a very intimidating you know, creepy presence, and and I didn't tap out. I love this movie, and I was surprised to find out it didn't do as well because I, I just wasn't following box office, and it's hard to determine on a on a small movie like this without a comparison. Uh, I thought this movie did well, and 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 I guess the fact that Marine Two is not going to star uh, Cena is probably uh, or not Marine Two. We're at twelve rounds. Right. What is it? What are they going to call it? Thirteen rounds, twelve rounds reloaded. Yeah, it's and it's Randy Orton. <laughs> Randy Orton. Yeah, they Marine 3 was going to be Randy Orton, and it ended up being The Miz because uh, of the whole controversy with Randy Orton being a an, an ex-member uh, 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 of the armed forces that was disgraced on his... <laughs> on his way out. Yeah. But anyway, I, my, my point to this, I should wrap up, is that no, I don't tap out. I really enjoy this. I like this movie. Out of all the wrestling movies we've talked about, this is probably my favorite. It's one that's very easy for me to pop in. No tap. I love it. Yeah, and it's actually interesting not to get back to uh, the Marine, but it almost seemed like this movie could have been the Marine 2, 12 yeah. rounds. And I wonder if that would have helped the box office. Yeah, it is odd. It's because there's so much about it when you're watching it that you're saying, well, I mean, he he was working as a security guard. Is that the same woman playing his wife? I I can't tell. I don't remember. Yeah, yeah I, I definitely feel that. And, uh, uh, you know, and, and you're like, Danny Fisher, was that the other guy's name? And, you know, you don't remember John Triton. Yeah. I mean, 
<laughs> so, so that was it. Welcome to a brand new year of Camel Clutch Cinema. We're going to have lots of exciting wrestling movies for you during the next 12 months. Are you excited as I am, Craig? Oh, you know I am. I, I, I think we're just hitting our stride here, and we have so much good stuff coming down the line for you. I, I made my own Camel Clutch Cinema foam finger, and I wear it whenever I listen to these. Thank you very much for joining me, Craig. Thank you. It's always a pleasure. And thank you for listening, and we will talk to you next time. So you want to wrestle, huh? You're too little. We got ushers bigger than you. Leave. I got to take a crap. Don't you see? Your skills plus my skills in the ring. Tag team. Howard Patrols is John Triton. What are you doing up there? Staying away from you. No more rhymes now. I mean it. Anybody want to feel it? What's that smell? <laughs> Jimmy King! Oh my god, a four-post massacre! No one can survive this! This isn't even a pay-per-view!